Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God, the dunamis of God, the miracle-working power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But with an emphasis this morning on that first statement, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Can you look at your neighbor and say, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Why don't you say it with a little bit of authority and boldness in your voice. Say, I'm not ashamed. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for bringing us here this morning. God, we're praying that your word would challenge and change, lead and guide. I pray that it would direct us this morning. And every day henceforth, God, I pray that you'd have your way and let your word do its work. We ask it in Jesus' name. Can you call on the name of Jesus one more time? And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. You can be seated. I've said this before, I've opened a message like this before, but I think it bears repeating the question, what is it that changes people? What is it that brings spiritual renewal and transformation? Well, the answer is nothing short of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everyone say nothing but the gospel. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 what the gospel is. He tells us how it is the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. Paul said, it's what I preach to you. It's, it's what you stand uh, upon. And it's by this that you are saved. It's all by the good news of Jesus Christ. That he came, that he died, that he was buried, and that he was resurrected. And that message of the gospel is good news, but it's not enough to just have a cognitive awareness of a man, of a good teacher, of, of even somebody who was God in the flesh some 2,000 years ago. To just be aware of the facts of history is not enough, but the message of the gospel must be appropriated or applied to the life of every believer under the sound of my voice. When we likewise experience our own personal death, burial, and resurrection, and that is through the message that was preached in the first sermon on the first day of church history, Acts chapter 2, Peter preaching, and he answers the question, what shall we do? And he gives the, the answer, repent, that is death, death to self, death to our will, to our ways, and to our desires. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of of Jesus Christ, literally calling upon the name of the Lord. It's for the remission or the washing of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That is death, burial, and resurrection power. How many can say, I'm one of them that's experienced what Jesus can do in a life? How many would say, I'm one of them that knows what it is to be lifted by the power of the gospel? His love lifted me. So I'm thankful. I'll say it again. I'm thankful for all that God has been doing in the lives of so many recently. It is only the gospel and our obedience to the gospel that changes us. That's it. Everyone say, that's it. Now, from the most seasoned saint among us to the newest convert, somebody maybe who's been here 
for many decades, or perhaps this is your first time in the building. Can I tell you that we are all called to preach the gospel? Jesus said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This is not just for the paid professional ministry, but the New Testament teaches us that we are all able ministers of the New Testament. We are all called to preach. But our problem is we sometimes think that this little box, this podium, this pulpit, this little space is the place where preaching happens, and it's not. It's one place, but it's not the only place. Preaching comes in many forms, and and it comes from many different voices. It ought to come from all of us. We are all a light in this darkness. We are all a voice that can be lifted to, to take territory from the kingdom of hell and advance the kingdom of God. So we go and we preach. But this morning, I would just like to ask the question that Why is it that we see some that don't preach this message? Why do some believers shy away? And I'm not here to indict. I'm just here to acknowledge some realities and and help us a little bit today. I think one of the reasons that some don't is that we don't want to be put in a position that will cause us to be embarrassed or cause us to feel ashamed. Now, one thing that could certainly bring embarrassment and shame when it comes to sharing the message of the gospel and the life of Jesus Christ is a lack of biblical understanding, to be sure. And I'm sure that there's somebody under the sound of my voice that there's a passion and there's a desire and what's within you, you say, it's like fire shut up in my bones and I want to say it, I want to declare it, but in some ways I feel like I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. I feel like my knowledge or my understanding only goes so far and I'm not the right one. I'm not the proper candidate. But nonetheless, we, are, we, are, we come face to face with the reality that we all are called to preach. Paul said to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4 and 2, Timothy, preach the word. And be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and with doctrine. Now that phrase, be instant in season and out of season, it eludes us in the 21st century. But I would frame it like this. It's like the scheduled test versus the pop quiz. And one you know about and you specifically prepare for, but the other you had no idea it was coming. In season, out of season. Now this message this morning, it's been on the calendar this service. I know I've been, uh, you know, it's, I've been tagged to preach for several weeks, several months now. This is in season. And you're grateful that I didn't treat this like out of season and just kind of wing it, you know. Open my mouth, the Lord will fill it. I've tr- I, actually, I've not really tried that. But if I would have, I know it's not going to work. I'm sorry. And you all are grateful. In season and out of season. Now we know that the only way to be prepared for a pop quiz is, is not the night of cramming. You don't know it's, it's going to be there the next morning. The only way to be prepared for the pop quiz, for the out of season opportunities, is to have a lifestyle of study and always be ready with the word in your arsenal. 
And isn't that what Peter said, 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Have this relationship and this walk with the Lord and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you with meekness and with fear. Somebody say, be ready always. That is the message for every believer. And again, some people I think, and I've heard some of them preach, you know, I'm just going to wing this. I'm just going to go with it. And God will help me. And God will give me the words to say. And that is a promise in the New Testament. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, when you're brought to trial in the synagogues and when you're stood before rulers and authorities, don't worry how you're going to defend yourself or what to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. But ladies and gentlemen, this is not a verse. This is not a license to just slack off and not study, to not be in the Scripture. Oh, just open your mouth. God will fill it. That is not a paradigm that we often see working oftentimes. I do believe that the Lord will fill your mouth, but, but the question is, what does the Lord fill your mouth with? Does God FedEx from heaven the exact words to speak when you are witnessing or when you're sharing your faith? Do the right words come via a spiritual cellular signal that downloads into your brain? No, it does not. For even Jesus said in John 14, yes, the Spirit will give you the words to say, but watch how. The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring all things to your remembrance. But it is whatsoever I have said unto you. It's the things that I've already spoken to you. Those are the things that I'm going to cause to come to your mind and to your spirit in the moment that they are needed most. And so it's not something that God sends from without. It's something that God brings to mind from within. God brings it to our mouth and brings it to our remembrance something that he has already said to us something that we have already internalized from his word and from the scripture and so to everybody here maybe you feel like I don't know enough or, or I, my, my knowledge is only up so far and, and I can't be a preacher of the gospel the answer 2 Timothy 3.15 is simply study Study to show yourself approved unto God. Watch this. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. If we don't want to feel the shame and the sting of embarrassment of not having the right words to say, we ought to get in the Word, love the Word, cherish the Word, study it, celebrate it, and preach the Word that is hidden in our heart. You grateful for the Word of God today? You're grateful for the scriptures that save us and redeem us and lead us. Nothing like the word of God. So why are some nervous? Well, because some have never taken the time to equip themselves. And as a result, a lack of biblical footing and principle and precepts, it prevents them from lifting their voice lest they be embarrassed and feel ashamed. I think that happens sometimes. The answer is to study. Now to qualify, you don't have to be a theologian, you don't have to be a Bible school graduate, and you don't have to have a certain pedigree or go through a probationary period for God to use you. I'm not saying that you have to be a scholar to be a witness, I'm not. Of 
fact is you can take what limited understanding you have right now and you can simply tell people what Jesus has done for you because your testimony has power. And that's exactly what happened in John chapter 9. There's a man who was born blind and, and Jesus heals this man. Now the religious elite, they didn't like Jesus very much and, and they get wind that he's the one who, who healed this blind man. And so they called this, this man that was blind and they said unto him, give God the praise. You know, you're giving the credit to Jesus. Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner, which he wasn't, but nonetheless. And this blind man, he answered them and he said, look, I don't know a lot. I really, this just happened today, guys. Just settle down a little bit. I don't know if he's a sinner or if he's not a sinner I don't know. Someone say, I don't know. But even though he didn't have this firm biblical footing under him, he said, there is one thing that I do know. He said, once I was blind, but now I see. And I'm here to tell you this morning that that is enough. No matter who you are, no matter how long you've been on this journey, you can say, I don't know everything about Jesus, but one thing I know, one time I was blind, but he opened my eyes to see. So I'm not giving permission. I'm just addressing the sentiment that I think sometimes people have. I'm not saying you should put your witness on hold until you go into the deep things of God. Go there, get excited about it, come back up for air every once in a while, you know. But wherever you are, if you have the Holy Ghost, Jesus said, but you shall receive power to be witnesses after the Holy Ghost comes upon you. So if you've been filled with the Spirit of God, you've got all you need to tell somebody about what Jesus has done for you. And your testimony of all I know, I was blind and now I see, it can certainly change a life. And somebody say amen. That's the power of a testimony. But if you still have, if you're somebody that has that fear of the potential sting of embarrassment from not knowing more, the answer is study. Study. So lack of understanding. I think that holds some people back. But I think this is just the tip of the iceberg, and it addresses really uh, an undergirding issue when it comes to living out our faith. That is fear. Generally speaking, fear is the issue. The truth is that we can all fear the opinions of others. We can all experience fear of rejection. And if we're honest, we believe this, many of us, to the core of our being. But even sometimes we can wonder and question whether what we preach will actually work. We've seen it work. It's worked for us. We wonder if it's only for that person, that individual, that ministry, that preacher of the gospel. I've seen it work for them. I wonder if it will work for me. Fear. Now, to be ashamed in, one, in Romans 1.16, it has a couple layers of meaning. It first means what you think it would mean. It means to be embarrassed. Embarrassed to be associated with someone or something and it's the, the idea that I don't want others to know about you know, my saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul is addressing that sentiment, absolutely. 
I'm not ashamed of, of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the gospel that was preached to me, that changed me, that saved me. But he addresses it because it's an issue, and really Jesus addressed it too. The question, am I ashamed of God? It's, it's kind of a sobering question. Am I embarrassed that I stand on the side of truth and of Scripture, that I have faith in Jesus Christ? It's an important question. Jesus said, for whosoever shall be ashamed of me and ashamed of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. If you want to pretend that, that, that I'm not a part of your life, or if you want to segment your Christianity to such a degree that nobody really knows except for this little pocket on Sunday morning that you are a Christian, if that's how you want to live it, then I guess that's how it will have to be. And so it is important that we live as people with deep integrity, to not try to be one thing here and something else somewhere else. We, we must be people that stand boldly for God no matter what the context or the circumstance. Because the alternative is convenient Christianity. And it's one where I can put this mask on here and take it off there. And, and that doesn't work. Jesus said, you ought not be ashamed of me, for I will be ashamed of you when this all wraps up. And it's easy in this environment here at church, whether, you know, to, to determine whether somebody is, is bold for God or, or ashamed of God or not. In this context, we all, we all look like, you know, amazing, exuberant, passionate Christians. We'll stand, we'll raise our hands, we'll pray out loud. You know, it's easy here, right? It's very easy here. But there are other, there are other environments where whether I am ashamed of God is tested where there are opportunities to raise my voice, and the question is, will I quench the Spirit in those moments? Will I let my light shine before men, or will I not? Will I be that city set on a hill, or will I hide and cower? Because the truth is, out there, even in North America, persecution, adversity, it can come when somebody is willing to boldly stand for God. So I'm going to say it again. I'm not ashamed. I'm not really interested this morning in just preaching a sermon. I'm really interested in challenging the spirit of fear that maybe has gripped somebody in the past and up to this point. So I'm wondering one more time with a little boldness, can you say, I'm not ashamed. We're going to declare it until something rises up within us and we walk out of this place different than the way we came in. One more time, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of my walk with the Lord. I'm not ashamed of this gospel message. I'm not ashamed of truth. I'm not ashamed of the word of God. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. The truth is that we can all fall prey to that pressure. Even Peter, the Pentecost preacher. Before he was the Pentecost preacher, he, he was the one that messed up royally and he denied that he even knew Jesus. During the trial of Jesus, Peter was questioned three times whether or not he knew the master. And each time he was questioned, he said, nope, don't know what you're talking about. Second time, somebody asks, and then the Bible says with an oath, he said, no. In other words, I swear I don't know who this Jesus is. Third time comes around, and then he doesn't say, I swear. He actually swears. The Bible says that he starts cursing and 
saying, I have no idea what you're talking about. And three times he denies that he even knows Jesus. I mean, this is the guy that walked on water and saw the miracles and, and followed him for three and a half years. He left the family business. He left what was comfortable. I mean, this is kind of a radical guy. And even Peter fell prey to the pressure to conform to the world around him and blend in and not stand out. And it was in that moment, after that third denial, that the rooster crowed and Jesus turns and looks at Peter square in the face. And I can only imagine that, that moment when, when Jesus is looking at Peter, that would be seared into my memory until I go to the grave, and I'm sure it was for Peter. So he went away and he wept bitterly. But I imagine that, that moment was a turning point for Peter. I imagine that Peter determined probably right there in that moment when his eyes met the eyes of Jesus where Peter said, never again, never again will I be ashamed to be associated with my Lord and my Savior. Never again will I be ashamed of Jesus. I'm not going to miss one more opportunity to say that I'm one of them. Oh yeah, that Jesus guy, I'm with him and he's with me. I'm in him and he's in me. I love him and he loves me. And so, Jesus, if you need me to stand up on the day of Pentecost and preach, I'll do it. If you want me to pray and see public miracles, I'll do it. And if all of the above gets me thrown in jail, so be it, I'll do it. Because I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I'm not going to deny him anymore. There's a story in Genesis chapter 20, and actually it's kind of a recurring thematic story it's of Abraham. You guys know Abraham? Now, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they go to a place called Gerar. And there's a king there, a pagan king named Abimelech. And when they arrive, Abraham decides to not tell the people that Sarah is his wife, but rather she is his sister. If you're taking notes this morning, just jot this down. Mistake. Husbands, take note. Yeah, I don't know her. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, Sarah, yeah, yeah, she's great. She's my sister. Which technically speaking, you read this story, technically speaking, it was true. She was a half-sister, so he wasn't lying. But can we just call it a lie? Okay, this is a lie. But it's for a reason. There's a reason. It's not a good one, but there's a reason that Abraham is telling this lie. And it's funny because it's not the first time that Abraham has done this. In Genesis chapter 12, he did the same thing while he's in Egypt. And years later, Abraham's son Isaac will do the same thing with his wife Rebekah in Genesis 26. Now each time, these three separate instances, these patriarchs, Abraham and his son Isaac, they were motivated to lie like this because they feared death. They feared what someone might do to them if they knew the truth. They were convinced that the pagan people would kill them if they knew that they were married to their respective wives. That's what they feared. And Abraham thought that if the world knew that he was married to Sarah, or I might say, if the world knew that he was in covenant, then they would kill him for it. And Abraham wanted them to know that he was connected to Sarah as a brother, but not as a husband. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I know her, but not like that. 
Not like that. Oh, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but not like that. Oh, yeah, I love Jesus, but not like those crazy people, you know. Not like those overly passionate, zealous for the Lord. No, 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 not like that. That's really the lie of Abraham, not like that. It's not like that. We're just, we're just casual. We're on a casual, we're on casual terms, you know. Just a casual relationship. She's my sister, not my wife. And in each story, Genesis 12, 20, and 26, the truth eventually comes to the light that they are not mere siblings, but they are in fact married. And in Genesis 20 in particular, Abimelech, the king of Gerar, comes to Abraham, and after he realizes the truth, he essentially asks the question, and I'm paraphrasing this morning, Abraham, why didn't you just tell me? Why didn't you just tell me the truth that you were married to, to Sarah and not just connected as a brother, as a sister, as siblings? Why wouldn't you just speak up and speak the truth and let me know? I would have rather that you just let me know, Abraham. I just wanted the truth. And here's what's amazing, because when Abimelech finally knows the truth about Abraham and Sarah, good things start happening. And the Bible says that Abimelech took his sheep and oxen and he gave servants all to Abraham and he gave Sarah his wife back because he had taken her thinking that it was just a sister. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee. Dwell where it pleaseth thee. Take your pick of my land, Abraham. And he said unto Sarah, Behold, I've given your brother, technically correct, Abraham a thousand pieces of silver. And watch this. In Abraham, verse 17, he prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants, and they bare children. There was fruitfulness that came to Abimelech's house. He was changed. He was healed. His wife was healed. His servants were healed. Good stuff started happening when the truth finally came out. And Abraham spoke up and said, yes, I'm married to her. Yes, I'm in covenant with her. Because Abraham finally stopped being ashamed of his relationship with Sarah, Abraham received blessings, and he was also able to minister to that pagan king and his family and his household. Can I just say this morning that we need to stop cowering back, and we just need to own the fact that we are in a saving covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. Just let it out there and let the chips fall where they may. It doesn't matter. Love me or hate me. And if we would stand without fear, here's what I'm here to declare this morning. I believe that God's favor will rest upon us and someone else out there can receive their miracle. They can receive their healing. They can receive salvation if the people of God would say, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I'm not going to hide behind layers of, of religiosity and I'm not going to cower behind excuses. I'm going to stand and I'm going to declare I know who Jesus is. I am his and he is mine. So am I ashamed of God? That's a good question. Here's another one. Am I afraid of people? Ask your neighbor, are you afraid of me? Just breaking the ice a little bit. The truth is these two questions go hand in hand. Somebody over here is afraid of their neighbor. We need to pray right now. These two questions go hand in hand. Am I ashamed of God? Am I afraid of people? Really, it's two sides of the same coin. 
Am I afraid of people? What, what, what somebody thinks of me? What they may do to me? God, deliver us from caring about the opinions of other people. In this social media generation where we are unfortunately so validated by the affirmation of others, by the likes and the comments, it's, it's plaguing this generation. We are so held captive by the opinions of others. And all of us have to come to a point in life, not just in our faith, but in, in various arenas of life, where the opinions of others don't dictate our behavior anymore. And really, we all have to get to a place where we, we have a little bit of, you know, I don't care what you think of me rise up within us. I don't care if you don't like it. This is how it is. Because I'm only concerned about the opinion of God. I'm concerned only about his opinion and those that God places in my life as a spiritual covering, like godly parents or a pastor. I'm concerned about those opinions, but other than that, love me or hate me, I don't care. That's how we need to be, and I, I, mean, I think we struggle with that sometimes, but that is where we should strive to be. Because I cannot and must not be paralyzed or influenced by the opinions of other people. I am not ashamed of God, and I am not afraid of anybody else. I'm not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of you. Jesus said, Matthew 10, 28, and fear not them. Don't be afraid of those which kill the body. Abraham, yeah, maybe they would take your life, but don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of them which can kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. If there's a holy awe and reverence that we ought to have it's toward God and no nobody else because the worst that somebody can do to me the worst that somebody can do to you for you declaring your faith is take your life that's the absolute would we agree the absolute worst we don't see that in our context it does happen in our world even today that's the worst that could happen and then you go be with Jesus so this is not a bad deal. To be absent from the body, I'm sorry if this sounds radical, this is scriptural. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now we can be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, and I'm not saying go out there all kamikaze and get yourself killed just, to, just for the fun of it. Do I need to qualify this morning? But it's not a bad deal if the worst that somebody can do to you is take your life for your faith. Didn't Jesus say we need to hate our lives in order to gain them? To lose our lives in order to get it back? If we try to cling to our life, we'll lose it in the process? And what does it profit if we gain the whole world but lose our soul? Didn't Jesus say things like this? And so we're called to stand with boldness. Not, in the not with fear of man, but in the fear of the Lord. And declare with the psalmist in 118 and 6 that the Lord is on my side. And I will not fear. And then almost as a taunt, the psalmist says, what can man do unto me? What, what is the worst that somebody could do anyway? The answer is the worst they could do. It still lands you in pretty good company still puts you in a pretty good place. And if that's the worst, then I can handle anything else. And the Lord will help me with the rest. 
I'm going to hasten to a close here. I have a few more things I want to say. I told you I have a scripture. I have a statement. And hopefully these thoughts support the statement. Jeremiah, the prophet in the Old Testament. I just read the book of Jeremiah recently. And this one statement, it stood out to me. See, Jeremiah was ordained by God before he was even born. God said, before you were even born, while you were still in your mother's womb, I formed you and I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Now, Jeremiah thought he was too young and he resisted a little bit, but God nonetheless commanded him to go and lift his voice without fear. And this is the statement that gripped me and and I want to share with you this morning. Jeremiah 1 verse 8, God said, be not afraid of their faces. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Jeremiah, I'm going to get you to say and do some pretty radical stuff. I'm going to get you to stand for righteousness and truth, even when your own people are going down the toilet in paganism. But Jeremiah, stand anyhow, and don't be afraid of their faces. Don't be afraid of their glaring scowls. Don't be afraid of their reactions. That's really what God was saying. Don't be afraid of their reaction. Your job, Jeremiah, is to lift your voice and speak what I have given you to speak with no respect or no concern for how they may respond to you. Don't be afraid of their faces. Just plant the seed and leave the rest to me. Speak my word and trust me to confirm it with signs following. The truth is, Jeremiah, you will come across people with stank face. Stank face. I don't know if you caught that. That's a modern term. It's, it's kind of, you know, slang. I'm sorry. Wow, tough crowd, tough crowd. Oh, yes, yes, stank face. Yes. Thank you, Lord. I receive that now in Jesus' name. Flipping to the concordance. Where is stank face? <laughs> Have you ever, <laughs> you ever come across somebody with stank face when you talk about Jesus? <laughs> There's the, I'm so, I don't even know if this is appropriate to say. That means I should say it. You know, the funny videos, you have just a moment for me to tell you about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and they go running, you know? It's funny. Because sometimes it's a little true. The stank face comes out, and they're like, uh-oh. And the truth is, That will happen. Some people don't want to hear it. Some people don't like the truth. Some people don't like to talk about Jesus. But that's not my concern. And that wasn't Jeremiah's concern. Don't be afraid of their faces, Jeremiah. Just preach. Just declare. And you leave the increase in the hands of God. One plants, another waters, but God gives the increase. That's all we're called to do is lift our voice. To be the voice in our generation. How many times has fear paralyzed us, prevented us from stepping out in faith when we felt the prompting to pray, when we felt the prompting to witness and we quenched it and we shuddered back? I'm here to address that spirit of fear this morning and I am here to cast it down and cast it out for he has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind and I'm here to declare that perfect love casts out all fear. I don't want to be held bound or held back anymore. I'm not ashamed. Somebody shouted this morning, I'm not ashamed. 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Esther in the Old Testament stood on the side of God and raised her voice against evil. It could have cost her her life. But if that's the worst that can happen, is that really so bad? But God was with her. She didn't lose her life. And he gave her favor. And because Esther was not ashamed to be numbered among the people of God and raise her voice on the side of truth and against evil, her boldness thwarted the plan of the enemy and brought deliverance to the Jewish people. The three Hebrew boys, they felt the pressure to bow just like everybody else, but they refused to be conformed to this world. And their stand for God wasn't convenient, and it ultimately had them thrown in a fiery furnace. But because these three young men were not ashamed, and they decided to stand for God, a fourth man came, and he stood in the furnace, and he stood in the fire with them. And they were not burned as a result. They thought they were going to lose their lives for standing, but on the other side, they didn't lose their lives, and in fact, their bonds were destroyed. They came out more free on the other side of a bold stand for God than they went into it with. Let me say, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of this Jesus. I'm not ashamed of his gospel. I'm coming for a close here. Here is one more layer of what the word ashamed means. The word in Romans 1.16 translated ashamed, it means disgraced or personally humiliated, which maybe sounds the same, but let me break it down. A person ashamed in this way is like someone singled out for misplacing his confidence. He trusted in something, and that something let him down. The word Ashamed, it can refer to being dishonored because of forming the wrong alliances. And so when Paul says that he is not ashamed of the gospel, he is saying that his confidence in the gospel is not misplaced. My confidence in the gospel is not misplaced because there is no disgrace coming my way when I declare it. What Paul is, is telling us is that if we will lift our voices... And if we will share the gospel without fear or favor of men, we will never be put to shame or disgraced by the word of God. People may shrug us off and reject us, but we don't have to wonder whether the gospel has the power to change someone. The gospel can stand on its own two feet, and I'll say again, it's the only message that can save or redeem the soul of man. And I will not be disgraced by the gospel. I'll not be put to shame by the gospel. It always works. It always transforms. Always. Someone say always. In the same passage when Peter quotes Joel in Acts chapter 2, you know, the first sermon and all that of church history, he quotes the prophet Joel and he and it's where Joel is prophesying an end-time outpouring. And Joel the prophet speaks of former rain and latter rain. And he speaks of floors full of wheat and vats full of oil. And he speaks of the restoration of the years that the enemy stole. Joel prophesies about an outpouring of God's Spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters prophesying. Old men dreaming dreams and young men seeing visions. And we know the passage. Peter quotes it in Acts chapter 2. And it's powerful, but nestled right in the middle of Joel's prophecy is this verse, Joel 2.26. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. You will praise the name of the Lord your God 
that hath dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. Can I tell you the promise that is nestled right there in the middle of end time prophecy and end time harvest and revival is this promise from God that if we will stand boldly for him, we will never be ashamed by him. He will never, never see us stand alone. He'll always stand with us and he will come good on his word if we will but speak boldly. That's the power of God's word. Isaiah said, for as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, verse 11, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but my word, when it's declared, it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. And so what the prophet is saying and what I'm saying this morning is that it's impossible for the word of God to return void. It is impossible for us to put shame, to be put to shame by the gospel. It just works. It just works. So all that is left for us is to trust that, to stand strong and speak it. Declare it and preach it. Music, join me. I'm almost finished. Because when we preach the gospel, brothers and sisters, good things start happening. I thank God for every relationship and friendship that I have in this church congregation. I hope if you're new here that we get to meet and hope, I hope we get to, you know, connect as families or whatever. That'd be wonderful. I'm always open to go and grab coffee with somebody that swings by the church. That's wonderful. That's not going to change you. Hopefully we get around to talking about the gospel. If I'm being honest, the relationship is part of it, but, but I got an ulterior motive. I'm not going to lie. Is that okay? When we preach the gospel, good things start happening. I want to take you quickly to the Apostle Paul, Acts chapter 18. The pastor was in these verses a few weeks ago. But Paul, when the Bible says that he left, Acts 18 verse 7. He left, he was in the synagogue, and he goes to the home of Titus Justus, who was a Gentile who worshipped God and lived next door to the synagogue. Verse 8 is a powerful verse. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household believed in the Lord. So this, this Jewish leader, plus his family, and then also many others in Corinth. So we say a lot. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul. They became believers, and they were baptized. And it's amazing to me. To think that one man who was willing to lift his voice and preach the gospel, because of that, many in the city of Corinth were saved. I mean, we see other places, statements like, and all Asia heard the word of the Lord. The influence of one man, and it's amazing. This is a powerful moment, and it's one, you know, a verse like this, we could shout about it. We could celebrate it. We could probably dance and run the aisles about it. Many in the city. It's powerful. But I would like to back up for just a moment, and I want to see what led to that moment because I think it's significant. It's really easy to look at a moment of victory like this and be excited, but, but then miss the diligent hard work and even the painful setbacks that led to a moment like that. 
And so first, if we back up just one chapter to Acts 17, we will see Paul in Athens, and he is preaching a sermon at the Oropagus, which is a big outdoor stone amphitheater. And he said, then Paul, then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill, verse 22, and he said, you men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I saw your religious trappings. I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. And Paul had his in. This was his open door. He starts preaching Jesus. He said, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him, declare I unto you. Paul preaches the gospel, no doubt. Paul, he, re he, he receives and experiences rejection. Verse 32, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked him. And others said, meh, we'll hear thee again of this matter. Come back another time, Paul. We're kind of busy today. And what you said didn't really resonate. So Paul, verse 33, he departed from among them. He left. It's not that nobody got saved. It's not that nobody believed. But it wasn't this sterling victory that, that we'd like to celebrate. In fact, by and large, Paul was rejected by the men of Mars Hill. And it's really easy for us in a moment like that to feel defeated and then withdraw when we experience rejection. I'm sure you're like me. And there have been moments when you've been rejected when you raise your voice on behalf of the truth. Anybody? Yeah? It's happened to me before. And it's in moments like this, it's really easy to internalize that feeling of rejection and to allow it to keep us from witnessing, testifying, praying, loving in the future. But what I really love about Paul, his ministry generally, there is this, this thread you see, Paul had that same mentality. I'm not ashamed of God and I'm not afraid of you. I don't care what you may think about me. Paul kept on moving forward. Paul kept on stepping. And Paul kept on preaching the gospel. He never let rejection keep him down. In fact, in Acts 14, one more illustration, Paul almost lost his life for preaching the gospel in a place called Lystra and the crowd turned on him and they stoned him nearly to death and they dragged him out of town. You want to talk about rejection? You want to talk about opposition? Paul knew what it was to be bloodied and bruised for the sake of the gospel, to be imprisoned for the sake of the gospel and ultimately to lose his life for the sake of the gospel. But Paul did not allow even intense rejection and persecution like this to keep his voice silent. What I love is that Paul picked himself up out of the rubble of those stones and he brushed the blood from his face and he brushed the dust from his shoulders and he kept on preaching that same message about Jesus. In fact, Paul walked right back into the same town. He said, that group didn't want to hear me. I'm sure there's somebody here that does. And he found a group of believers and he kept preaching and he kept working in the same place where they tried to kill him. That's Paul. He was persuaded that this gospel message would not put him to shame. It may bloody him. It may bruise him. It may make him unpopular, but it would not put him to shame. It's the only message that would work. It's the only message that can change a life and transform a heart. 
It's the gospel. So it's no wonder then. If he can walk back in when he's almost killed, it's no wonder that he goes after being rejected in Athens at the Oropagus. He doesn't get discouraged, but he keeps stepping to the next town. And he goes into Corinth. And even there, the synagogue rejected him. The first thing he faces there is rejection. But he doesn't stop going. He doesn't stop stepping. And he goes next door. And guess what? He eventually finds somebody who is hungry for what he has. He finally finds somebody who wants to listen and hear this message. Isn't that powerful? Acts 18, 8. I'll, I'll close. Why don't we stand together? Crispus believed on the Lord. His house believed on the Lord. Many Corinthians also believed and were baptized. It's powerful. So let me just say to somebody this morning, if you've ever been intimidated or crippled by fear, to share your faith. If you've ever been rejected, somebody's ever resisted you, ridiculed you, I'd like to encourage you with what God told Paul next. Verse number nine says, Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not afraid, but speak. Don't stop speaking. Don't stop preaching. Don't hold your peace. Why? For I'm with you, Paul, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. And somebody is missing the next one because you're still held captive by the last one. And I've come to free you in the Holy Ghost from those chains of, chains of fear and to say, be loose today. Be loosed in Jesus' name to go to the next one, to walk to the next house, to walk to the next town, and to see God move and change a life by the gospel. Here's what I want to do this morning. We're going to close this way. I want everybody, if, if you would stand and declare with those around you, with your brothers and sisters, or if maybe this is your first time, you're welcome to join us also. If you would like to stand at this front and declare, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. If you would like to come to this front and you be loosed from shackles of fear and, and, and chains of bondage, I wonder if you step out of your seat right now. We're going to pray together. Because what I feel the Lord would like to do here this morning that God would like to baptize this church, this people, in this end time age with a spirit of boldness to see the kingdom advance. The wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous, they are as bold as a lion. I feel like God wants to baptize us with that today. As you're coming, I'll read you one passage. Because the early church, they didn't pray for a lot of the things that we pray for recurring prayer for the book of Acts church God give us boldness Lord behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness that we may speak thy word that's my prayer this morning and I wonder if leave that verse on the screen if you would I wonder if that would be your prayer this morning as we join together as a body of believers brothers and sisters friends and guests can we lift our hands right now and can we just pray that the Lord would baptize this 21st century church with the same boldness that was resting upon the first century church because there is much people in this city there is much people in this city. <laughs> Come on, lift your voice for just a moment. 
Lift your voice now in Jesus' name. Lord, by the authority of your word, we join with our brothers and sisters from the book of Acts. We join together with, with the church from the first century. And God, we pray that you would baptize every believer in this house with a boldness to stand flat-footed square in the face of whatever adversity. Lord God, I pray that you'd help all of us to let any past rejection Lord, to let any intimidation roll off our back, that we would keep on stepping to the next miracle, to the next soul. God, I pray that you'd cause us to say, I'm not ashamed. Let it rise within us this morning, I pray. Let it rise within every man, woman, boy, and girl this morning, I pray. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, just pray, church. Just pray for a few moments. Just seek the face of the Lord for a few moments. Lord, baptize us as we pray, as we seek. Baptize us with boldness. Baptize us with boldness, God. Hallelujah. 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 somebody in their mind. Fear that has held somebody back from pursuing their God-given calling, their destiny, and their dreams. In the name of Jesus, I pray that we would step beyond fear today. I pray that the back of all fear would be broken. We cast down all strongholds in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, yes, God. Yes, God. If it's appropriate to do so, get a hold of somebody near you and lift your hands together. Lift your voices together and just release that to flow from life to life, from vessel to vessel. We cast out fear right now in Jesus' name. Let your perfect love flow in this house this morning. God, I pray that you'd pour out the Holy Ghost. Pour out your spirit, power to be a witness. Hallelujah. 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 As they begin to sing, I wish you'd just keep your voices lifted. Just continue to push and pray and seek God right now.